Blog Talk Radio. again to Blog Talk Radio, to the catch on Blog Talk Radio. It, it is Tuesday night, and uh, it's time for us to have a very special guest. I love the guests I'm able to have on this show, and um, it's uh, it just helps broaden, I believe, all of our perspective. And um, Especially right now, uh, we are discussing uh, the the Johnny's Cafe theme, which is basically uh, a metaphor for our life in the world as Christians. And uh, how do we do that? And how do we think about the world as believers? And how do we interact um, at, uh, well, at Johnny's Cafe and uh, anywhere else? where we meet the world in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, and and uh, and such. So um, this is going to be great tonight because we are very privileged to have someone who, who thinks Christianly about uh, pretty much everything. Uh, he writes a religion column for 31 years. He's been writing a religion column that goes all over the world. It's nationally syndicated. Um, he was just telling me how, uh, you know, everything, pretty much everything has to do with religion after a while, if that's what you were, you're focusing on. And, um, that's the way he sees the world. And, uh, so we're going to talk about worldview, uh, tonight and, uh, get some of, some of, uh, his thoughts. Um, he also teaches at King's College. Is a and um, has a, a very interesting uh, website called GetReligion.com, in which um, he critiques mainstream media's coverage of religion. How other people, I guess, how other people do it might be a way a way to say it. And um, so it's a, such a great privilege to have with us once again. Uh, we had him on two years ago, Terry Mattingly. Terry, welcome to the catch on Blog Talk Radio. Glad to be here. Yeah. I would only make um, one s- small correction in that. My website is getreligion.org. Oh. O-R-G. Okay. Yeah, we don't own the okay. .com. It's getreligion.org. Oh, interesting. You know what? I swear i typed in dot com and i got it well you know what hang on <laughs> I, I might be having what some people would refer to as a senior moment uh, uh, well, what do you know I, I i had totally forgotten that we did manage to get a hold of that that, that address i've called there it, you go you know the thing is almost 16 years old now and we obtained that wow. uh 
not that not that long ago we managed to finally get our hands on the dot com but uh-huh. i've had getreligion.org in my mind so long that let's just call that a senior moment and move on okay <laughs> well, do you ever great. have senior it's moments no oh, uh, more and more yeah <laughs> as 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 life goes on you walk into the room and you forget why you came there you know those kinds of things yes we do <laughs> it's not too bad yet however so uh, I, I I don't have have anything to complain about, um, and uh, in fact I don't I don't get this old age thing yet. I think I think us us boomers are going to be impossible because we're just not going to we're going to be in denial until the grave probably. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the safe to say. It's like when you, even when you look on the commercials at, at at night on TV, you don't see a whole lot of. Uh, Overweight, out of it, baby boomers. We are, we we like to see ourselves the way we think we always have seen ourselves. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, help us tonight, Terry. Help us think about uh, a subject that I think is probably the one of the hardest ones to get your arms around because it, it means so many different things to different people. Um, and uh, and that's the whole idea of worldview. Uh, I'd I'd like to start with a, a a big general question: is what is worldview? I mean, how how would you define it? Um, let's start with something like that. Well, I think one of the ways to think about it is that worldview is very closely linked to the creation of culture. Uh, I, somewhere I, I forget who put it this way: think of culture as hardware. Uh, in you know in the world of computers and mm. worldview to some degree is software. Uh, an, another person has put it is that intellectually, your worldview is the lens through which you look at the world, and the makeup of that lens influences a lot of what you can see, and a lot of what you can focus on. And the worldview, a lot of that worldview comes to you from the culture in which you have grown up. Um, okay. One of the, when I'm talking to students about worldview and, and how it relates to culture, one of the rather nasty little questions that I, I ask my students um, is I ask them to name for me five great evangelical Protestant film directors. Mm. And you'll see this kind of kind of stunned look on their face and inevitably somebody says Mel Gibson and I say no Mel Gibson when he's sober when he's sober and has his act together is a thinking Roman Catholic Um, a really a really sharp person will come up with Scott Derrickson um, director of Doctor Strange and whatever and his background is evangelical I don't know if that's a title he would take today he certainly wouldn't claim the political implications of that word. But Scott is someone who grew up evangelical, but his worldview has almost been created by G.K. Chesterton and Catholic mm. views of art. So then we're now talking about how someone's religious worldview and what they think is valuable and what they think art is and what they think faith is, it ends up having a practical result in terms of whether or not they can make great films 
that speak to ordinary people in the culture Mm. around us. So after Mm. I've asked them, name five great evangelical Protestant directors, I'll then turn around and ask the students to to name five great Roman Catholic film directors. And at that point, you know, you're up, you can get 20, like real quick, and pretty much only be dealing with people, you know, who have received, you know, Academy Awards or multiple Academy Awards. I mean, from the old days of Frank Capra, uh, all the way up into the days, you know, of Scorsese and Mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And and even a, a, a comedian who's, I think, a very underrated female writer and director, someone like a Bonnie Hunt is someone whose worldview is very much shaped by her Catholic background and it affects her humor and everything else. So that's just getting students to think about the difference between this, this very vague Mm -hmm. nebulous Mm -hmm. topic that we talk about all the time worldview and then turning it into a practical question. How does the, the lens through which you see the world affect what you end up doing with your life. And that's the question that intrigues me the most. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say then it sounds like every, well, okay. Two questions. Does everybody have a worldview and is everybody's worldview different uh, uh, in some way? Well, I mean, Yes, everybody has a worldview, everybody has eyes, everybody has a brain, everybody sees the world in some way. And I guess you could say that every individual has some unique Mm -hmm. combination of influences on their worldview. But I think it's safe to say, Mm -hmm. especially in the world of religion, that there's a difference between a a southern evangelical worldview in many ways. There's a difference between that and – even a, a Catholic worldview, a Jewish worldview, a Muslim worldview, I think worldview often tells you a lot about kind of the social class in which you were raised, you know, where mm-hmm. you grew up in America. Someone who grew up, you know, in Brooklyn probably has a different vantage point on viewing the world than someone who grew up in Birmingham. Alabama, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are exceptions to that, but these are all the various factors, education, Mm -hmm. the amount of education you've had, where you received your education, all of those things can tend to shape your worldview. Um, I've been involved in Christian higher education of various kinds since the early 1990s, and we've lived through an era in which worldview has been the dominant word talked about and hurled about in the world of Christian higher education. And, um, you know, people argue about this and discuss this all the time. And it's a valid subject. I just think it's important to not think that the content of your worldview is the only thing that matters in terms of what you do with your life. Um, Frankly, I think a lot of schools and a lot of seminaries just seem to think that if you get your worldview straight, you automatically then are ready to take on the world or debate the world or court the world or, you know, or whatever else you're supposed to do. Um, there are other skill, there are skills involved in life that are affected by worldview, but um, you can't just talk 
about this stuff. I guess would be the main point I would make. Mm. Mm. You seem to be making a point. I like your point earlier that that your world that seems to be what you're most interested in. You said was how your world view relates to what you do. Um, talk to us a little more about that. Well, I know it, of course, primarily in the world of mass media. Um, in a lot of Christian education, if you go to Christian liberal arts schools, and by the way, let's be really upfront and clear here, I love teaching in Christian liberal arts environments. I'm a big advocate of um, multi-subject and crossover degree plans in which you you take on a lot of different subjects and see where they overlap. I, I, I did more courses in history during my undergrad and graduate school years than I did in journalism, even though journalism is my field. So I'm a, a big believer you know, in that kind of education. Yet at the same time, if all your liberal arts education does is teach you how to talk about film and argue about film and maybe even dissect two or three points of intellectual content out of film, does that actually improve any of the films and TV shows that are being made in America? At, at some point, if you can't live out your worldview in ways that, that take information and stories – well, I mean, John, you've watched this in music your whole life, right? I mean, um, I, I'm glad that there are people who work in the world – of Christian music. I think that's a valid calling and whatever. At the same time, though, we, we've, we've seen people rise up who have the ability to make music within a Christian worldview. There's that term again. But they can mm -hmm. make music mm -hmm. that's for everyone. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and they make music that people listen to on Friday night and Saturday night as well as Sunday morning. Um, we, we know this in literature. A number of years ago, I had a speaking engagement uh, that took me the only time I've ever been to Tokyo and to Japan. And a friend of mine took me into this huge bookstore right in the pulsating, thriving heart of Tokyo. Big, I mean like, like half the size of like a, a Target store or something, massive bookstore. And, of course, as you would imagine, the vast majority of the books there were in Japanese. But I kept going further and further and further back in the bookstore. And sure enough, in the back of the bookstore were a couple of shelves, a couple of sections dedicated to books in English. And I thought it was fascinating that in the fiction section of those bookshelves were pretty much all of the works of fiction of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. And obviously there was Jane Eyre. I mean, not Jane Eyre. I mean, there was Jane Austen. And there was, mm -hmm. you know, obviously there's Shakespeare and there's whatever else. And I was thinking to myself, what is it that puts C.S. Lewis's books and Tolkien's books and Austen's books in the shelves at the back of a bookstore in Tokyo? And it, obviously they wrote great stories. And their, their Christian world views, their Christian beliefs and convictions are in there. 
you, you know, if you, those with eyes to see can see it. But most of all, they're great books. So at some point it seems to me that in this argument about culture and journalism and music mm. and film and television and the fine arts, at some point it matters whether or not you can actually create things that then have a chance for other people to average, you know, normal people, average people, maybe even non-Christian people to consume mm-hmm. these stories and consume these ideas and either fall in love or get angry with these characters and thus engage mm-hmm. that worldview in a way that has a chance of actually building a bridge or making contact. Wow. Um, is it uh, is it possible to break a world a worldview down into um, what's important, like sections? Like, can can we break a Christian worldview down? Can you go study and say, okay, these are the essential elements of a Christian worldview? Does that it does that exist? I'm not sure like I understand your question. I'm, would that well, be I mean, like the you, fall and sin and, and, and redemption and, yeah. you know? Well, there are, uh, the there's Christ obviously figure. doctrine in there. But I think mm-hmm. that if you had a room mm-hmm. full of movie screenwriters, they probably yeah. wouldn't start off with the Nicene Creed. They would probably start <laughs> off talking about how they view human beings. I I once had a chance to interview the great actor, in my personal opinion, one of the greatest actors of the late 20th century, Robert Duvall. And Robert Duvall is not a Christian believer, or at least he wasn't at the time I talked to him. But he is a man who, because of the films he's made, um, Tender Mercies being the key one where he won his Academy Award, he is Mm -hmm. fascinated with the impact of the Bible and Christian evangelical faith on the lives of ordinary people. And in the midst of this interview, he said, you know, he said part of the problem is that Hollywood's worldview doesn't take sin very seriously. Even though sin is involved in a lot, you know, of what they do. They, they and mm-hmm. at the same time they don't take redemption very seriously. He said, the irony is that most Christian filmmakers seem scared to deal with sin. And because Hmm. they can't deal effectively with sin, they have trouble telling stories of redemption that actually ring true. Hmm. Isn't that fascinating? Because I think if you ask most Christians what's central to their worldview, sin and redemption and grace – would be right in there. Mm-hmm. Yet at the right. same time, they might have trouble dealing with it when they actually talk about what that looks like in life. And then mm-hmm. when they try to tell stories about it, well, maybe they don't want to talk about sin. In there. But they want to get to the altar call before they've actually focused much on the impact and the, the <laughs> horrible puzzles and Knots, K-N-O-T-S, of sin Mm -hmm. in the lives of real people. And so they struggle with storytelling 
because they don't know how honest to be about these subjects. That same mm-hmm. thing affects songwriting. That same thing affects yeah. visual arts. Um, a lot of people get on um, – well, a songwriter that I'm sure you know his work quite well, someone like a T-Bone Burnett is someone who mm-hmm. has always talked very bluntly about the reality of sin uh, in his mm-hmm. music. And maybe there are a lot of born-again r- people who don't think he does enough with redemption and he doesn't do enough with altar calls. But he's describing the world as he sees it. Um, yeah. The late, great Mark Hurd would be someone yeah. who I would say spent yeah. his whole musical career struggling to take his worldview into music that connected to ordinary people as well as to Christian audiences. So I feel like I'm going in circles here, but we're dealing with the same equation. Yes, your worldview is your beliefs. Yes, your worldview is related to how you view politics and family and love and hate and war and peace and money and all these other things. But at some point, can you actually express that? Can you do anything with that? And do you have the skills and social capital to to do something with it? Um, let me let me give you an example. You're you're familiar, I'm sure, and a lot of listeners will be familiar with the the great William Wilberforce. And yes. at the heart of this obsession with worldview in recent years, primarily because of the work of the late Chuck Colson. Colson and a lot mm-hmm. of others talked constantly about Wilberforce and how his Christian worldview helped him you know, over a long period of yeah. time win the fight to defeat slavery. And that's obviously doing something very real in the real world. Yet right. sometimes when we tell the story of William Wilberforce and his worldview, we, always, we also forget that he was a graduate of Cambridge which in British society gives you a certain amount of clout. And it didn't hurt that one of his best friends, and I believe roommate at one point, turns into the prime minister of England. And it doesn't matter that with that kind of connection and intellectual links and friendships and links to real people, when it came time to fight slavery, he's able to put together the Clapham group and pull together many of England's top songwriters and artists and playwrights and orators, which allows him to take this Christian conviction, a piece of his worldview, and put it on street corners and in theaters and even in pubs. He was able to get that worldview into places other than a church mm-hmm. pulpit on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, you great. see the point I'm it, making here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah At some one. point. Hey, Terry, do you see? Go ahead. Go ahead. <clears throat> I, I was just going to ask you if you, see, if you see anybody doing that today in, in some way. Who, uh, well, I'm I, sure you do. I think we've actually uh, been through several decades now of people, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the field of popular music, um, we've we've had you know important Christian writers. Some of them are people that folks don't think of as Christian writers. 
I may not agree with a lot of his uh, political beliefs or moral beliefs, but John Grisham is a Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher who has sold a couple of books in his career. Now you say, well, how many people read John Grisham and then walk the aisle? Well, probably not many, but simply stated the stories of sin and redemption that have been at the heart of some of his best novels are things that people probably read and think about. A lot of Christians assume that statements of Christian worldview have to end up in evangelism rather than just Mm -hmm. end up as art, end up as a part of a dialogue and debate with the real world. Evangelism, Mm -hmm. when it works, is usually two people talking and sharing and having a relationship that over time makes an impression on the unbeliever. I I love, even though Chuck Colson struggled, I think, personally, I think, with a lot of issues related to worldview, at the same time, he's the man who said in Washington, D.C., he could have never have been the evangelist he was without the films of Woody Allen. Because without the films of Woody Allen, he never would have had anything to talk to unbelievers about on subjects that really mattered to them. You know, in Washington, you can you can talk politics all day long and probably end up coming to blows, mm-hmm. especially in this astonishingly vitriolic and nasty culture that we live in yes. right now on both sides of the equation. Yeah. But what Colson was saying, coming out of the Nixon era, where, of course, he was mm-hmm. Nixon's all-time famous hatchet man before his conversion in a Bible study led by a Democrat, of all things, um, Colson – was really close to speaking that he was really on target there when he said without the ability to see, without your worldview's ability to help you see religious themes and religious ideas and religious debates and religious subject material in the world around you, what do you have to talk to with unbelievers? Hmm. What do you have in common? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, see that what you're saying right now is is what I believe so strongly that that is when worldview can become a bridge, I believe, into the culture and into talking to people. Um, which um, we're, we're running out of time, but I, I want to. Well, let me make one I, real. I, I want quick you to comment then. on this. Okay. Okay. Go. Okay, do you are you familiar with the work of the late great Bob Briner? The man who yes. wrote Roaring Lambs. Bob always right. used to say something mm-hmm. interesting. Bob said one of the hardest things to do in life is to actually change the change the mind of someone who disagrees with you. And what mm-hmm. he meant by that is can you apologetics is important, debating, even arguing is important. But can you do that in a way that actually engages the ideas of the other person? Can you actually offer ideas and information to uh, them that speak yeah. to where they are? I, I, I think in a lot of our worldview discussions, we sometimes lose sight of that final aim, not just the creation of culture, but even mm-hmm. the ability to share with others in a way that has some chance of reaching them. 
Yeah. And that's why we have to listen and listen better to the culture around us and find the things that that are embracing of our worldviews. Yeah. Um, I've never that, met an effective missionary who hated the culture they were trying to reach. <laughs> have you? Yeah. No. They probably know its weaknesses. They they know how to debate it, but at the same time, they know its strengths and they know why they love it, and thus they're able to engage it. Yeah. Well, um, there's one thing that concerns me, and maybe you can shed some light on this. But I have noticed, Terry, that often people who to whom worldview becomes very important. Um, there seems to be eventually this kind of us and them thinking that that comes in. And then it becomes our view against everybody else's view. And, and it's a, it becomes a contentious kind of thing where mm-hmm. we're almost warring with our worldviews. And to me, uh, that that seems to 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 go against what what really needs to be done here. Uh, what would you say? Would you agree well, with that? Well, let's face it. A lot of what's going on in our culture right now, the people on the other side are shouting at us just as much as we're shouting at them. I mean, we can't get around the fact that there's a lot of argument and battling going on right now about issues that really matter. The one that concerns me the most right now in in politics is we're losing both halves of the First Amendment. You know, we've got one guy screaming that the press is the enemy of the people, (laughs) and on the other side we have half Mm -hmm. of the world of politics saying that religious liberty is no longer a value we can afford to tolerate. I mean, so no, there are things worth getting mad about and things worth shouting about. But have you ever seen anyone actually change anyone's mind just by screaming at them about what they believe that's wrong? Um, I I run a website that has to make a lot of negative criticism of the press. And some people seem to think that's the only thing GetReligion.org and .com does. But we also try to, to promote the importance of the press and the importance of getting it right in news coverage and in our public Mm. debates. So at some point we have to stand for something as well as what we stand against. Um, And a a truly – a person who can effectively use their worldview is someone who can do both. Mm. Mm. Uh, What do you think of this statement? In trying – Instead of trying to make society more Christian, we need to focus on making ourselves more vitally Christian in society. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. That sounds very much like um, the basic thesis of my friend Rod Dreher's book, The Benedict Option, which has caused so much mm-hmm. argument. And But, but the, the key point of that is at some point the church has to realize that it can't give away a faith that it's no longer living out. It can't give away something it doesn't have. 
and it can't give away something that it hasn't even managed to make a case for to its own children and to the people in its own pews. Yeah. At some point, we need to worry about whether we're actually living out our own worldview before we kind of tee off on other people. Now, once again, I, yeah. I want to stress, I know that there's a lot of things out there to be upset about and angry about. But at some point, the church has to get better at being the church again so that we have something to invite people to that they might actually want to consider. We're back to that Bob Briner point again about do 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 we have any debates at all? Do we have any way of communicating our worldview that is winsome, that has any story to mm. it that people actually want to hear instead of basically turning it into hardback books and clubbing them over the head with it? Mhm. Mhm. Wow. Well, this is all leading to one final thing that I, I'm I'm just actually kind of I think I'm uh, beginning to think about this myself um, even just now as we as we're following this line of thinking. It's the question: um, What's the purpose? What's the point? What what is then the purpose of of, of knowing our worldview or or of focusing having something to focus on it or using it in what we do what what is the point is it is it to change society or 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 is it something else what what is the what is the ultimate goal here that we're trying well first of all i think we we want to people achieve. to be honest about what it is they believe and i think that i think that what we believe is very, very important. But I think that what we actually do is even more important. What we end up doing in the world around us, what we end up doing to help other people or to engage with other people, yes, and to argue with other people, if that's what is called for on some occasions, what we actually do with our lives and what we create is more important than just our ability to, to argue about a certain set of ideas and principles. Now, <laughs> I'm a convert to Eastern Orthodoxy, and they call us Orthodox for a reason. I believe that beliefs and doctrines are very important. But ultimately, we've also got to get back to thinking about what are we doing in our homes, mm. in our churches, mm. in our vocations, are we actually doing anything that's helping the lives of other people to flourish and to to somehow engage the real world? Um, you know, the, the old saying, I'm trying to remember, All God's Children in Blue Suede Shoes by Kenneth Myers. He said, you know, one of the most difficult yeah. propositions is to be – in the world, but not of the world. He said, far too many modern Christians have managed the difficult equation of being of the world, but not in it. Yeah. And yep. there's there's a whole lot of people yep. who are so busy thinking about their worldview that they forgot to live. <laughs> or create. Or create. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ah, fantastic. Terry, I can't thank you enough. 
this is a this is a perfect uh, beginning for us. And um, uh, thanks for giving us some insight here. I really appreciate it. And pray God continues to bless your work. And uh, keep doing. I know you can't stop, so just keep doing it. <laughs> well, thank you. And you and I have bumped into each other over the decades now, and I sure hope yes, that continues. I do too. Okay, Tim, Terry, thank you. God bless. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you go, folks. That was so helpful. I hope you got a lot. We go back and listen to it again and uh, maybe tell your friends and, because there's some really good help. What you do is more important than just what you talk about. Amen. So, stay with us. Catch. Oh, God.